This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, September 12th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Episode 67 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. This is a weekly baseball podcast. Paul and I are twin brothers. Both reside in Champaign, Illinois. Paul, how was your trip to Memphis? Uh, Memphis was good. Feels like forever ago. It's been a really busy weekend. But uh, we visited Central Barbecue, which is supposed to be one of the best barbecue joints in Memphis, and uh, the Civil Rights Museum. How were both of those? Uh, really good. I would definitely recommend the Civil Rights Museum. Um, that's where MLK was shot. They've kept the outside of the hotel um, intact, so uh, it's you know still looks like the 1950s, but cool. pretty powerful stuff. And the barbecue? It's very good. I didn't know Memphis was like known for their barbecue, but um, really, apparently they are. You knew that? Yeah, Memphis barbecue. It's like a big deal. That in Kansas City. I know Kansas City. I've never thought of Memphis as a barbecue. I thought I was talking to uh, you about the trip beforehand, and you were talking about the barbecue in Memphis. Hmm. Well, I mean, you're lamenting to Kate that you're going to get there too late to try the barbecue. No, I like heading there. I knew about the barbecue. Like people had said, try this. But I'm saying like before Memphis was on the radar, I'd never. Oh, thought like of it. months ago. Right. Okay. How was your weekend? Uh, it was good. Went to Cubs Brewers on Labor Day at Miller Park. Uh, tailgated beforehand. If you haven't been to Miller Park, I would imagine it's the most tailgate-friendly park in all of baseball. Uh, it's like a big deal for fans there, and so there's tons of tailgaters. Why is that? Is that like a Packers carryover? I think, yeah, just the culture up there is very much like meat, cheese, beer. Yeah. So that was fun. Uh, Cubs won, uh, I think, seven to two. Um, did you shoot up to Manitowoc County? I didn't. I didn't. Um, but yeah, that was a fun time. Made for a really long day. And then like Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday was still recovering just because I was super tired from the whole day. Um, which leads into Saturday. Lovey Smith's first loss as Atlanta coach. I thought we could break that down. Paul, what'd you think? It's a letdown for sure. Um, I was pretty amped for the game. It's the most excited I've been for a U of I game in several years. Um, but yeah, it's pretty clear that we're not very good. Yeah, don't have the talent to compete with the North Carolinas of the world. Uh, and I don't even think Carolina's probably like top 25. No. Long term. Yeah, I don't know if we're a bowl team. I haven't looked at our schedule. Do we have six wins out there? Didn't you predict? Six that... and six. Okay. That was four and eight. Uh, Yeah, it'll be close. The Big Ten's not very good, so that's always good but our depth is pretty bad speaking of football <laughs> well our nelly fun fact first sure uh, nelly fun fact this week it's a short one i found an article from bleacher report called five rappers that could have gone pro and nelly is one of the five uh, i didn't realize he was um, so good at baseball so i'll just quote from the article growing up in baseball crazy st louis nelly had a passion for the game 
instilled in him at a young age. Starting for his high school baseball team, Nelly used the game to keep him out of trouble. Trouble is all he caused for opposing pitchers, earning him MVP honors in the St. Louis Amateur Baseball Association and getting interest from the Cardinals and Pirates. So we obviously have talked about him, uh, Nelly, and his, his passion for baseball, but I didn't realize he was like actually a really good player. Well, he and Ryan Howard had that trap together. Well, that's what kind of made me think about it this week. Is like, oh, is he actually a good player? Hmm. And it seems like he was. How deep... Uh, in terms of Google search results, are you into Nelly Baseball fun facts? Yeah, actually, I searched Nelly Baseball this morning, and that was actually the first one that came up. Wow. Yeah, I've exhausted quite a few of the easy Nelly fun facts. Thanks, Tim, though, for our intro song. Look forward to Paul having to wrap that in yeah. a few a few weeks. That looks likely. Uh, but yeah, getting into to T-Bell, I'm guessing that's where you're going with mm-hmm. your comments. He signed with the Mets on Thursday morning. Uh, the Mets were one of several teams that were interested in signing him, but they were the only team that would allow him to leave instructional league uh, activities to do broadcasting work in the fall. Uh, got a $100,000 signing bonus mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Paul, you have been the biggest Tebow supporter on this podcast. Um, what uh, what'd you make of it? Yeah, out of the two of us, I've been the biggest Tebow supporter. Adrian, I don't think, liked him either. Um, yeah, I, I don't like that he's skipping a couple of days a week to do stuff for the SEC network. I have no issue with him having the tryout and trying out baseball, but uh, it seems like he's trying to keep one foot in both worlds, and that just that sets up a poor dynamic for relationships he has with other minor league players and even major league players. I saw you know, Jay Bruce wasn't happy, and uh, it was reported that several Mets were, were pretty unhappy with the setup. So, um, I didn't like that, but, um, I saw where Sandy Alderson called it a, uh, an interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. So it seems like they have pretty good, um, or they don't, they don't have real grand ideas for how it's going to go. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to not see it as anything other than like a publicity stunt. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, he came out and said that like that Alderson, that just doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you sign a guy for a hundred thousand to sell like more t-shirts or jerseys or something like that? Tickets. Like, well, it's all about publicity. I don't, I think the idea is probably intriguing to them. Um, and they know they're going to get covered in the media quite a bit. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good question. Like why, (laughs) why are you doing it? If I was a GM, I wouldn't touch it. Mm -hmm. Is there a chance to watch him in September at all in person? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, we should see where they, um... I think it's in Florida, but I don't know if, like, instructional league games were attendable. Yeah, we'll have to check on that. Uh, moving on to our Matt Bush update. This past week, three and one-thirds innings pitch, one home run, one earned run, which was a home run, to Seth Smith of the Mariners, had five strikeouts in his three plus innings of work, so pretty normal update there. Uh, Rich Hill is the other big story that I wanted to talk about this week. He, on Saturday nights, was uh, pitching a perfect game through seven innings, had only thrown 89 pitches, and then he was pulled for a relief pitcher, Dave Roberts. Uh, the Dodgers manager pulled him. Yeah, I guess, Paul, Just I've got some notes here, but what, what, did, you, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was the second game back, right? Third, with, Third the Dod- game. with the Dodgers. Yeah, I don't have any issue with Roberts pulling him. It 
it's similar to when um, I don't remember the pitcher's name, but earlier this year, Ross Stripling, after eight innings, uh, in the eighth inning, in the eighth inning, pulled him, and that was also a perfect game, right? It was no hitter, and um, it was his major league debut. Um, but yeah, I, Roberts doesn't have any ulterior motive other than he wants to keep Rich Hill healthy for the the postseason. So it's not like um, he's against Rich Hill or something like that. Um, I know after the game there was like a little bit of inconsistency between the two. Hill was saying it was his his blister was fine and he was feeling good, where Roberts was saying there was some concern about that. So um, I don't I don't have any issue with it. I think it's stupid. Why? So in the history of baseball, you know how many perfect games there's been? Thirty-five. Twenty-three. Hmm. No one's thrown uh, two either. So just twenty-three pitchers in the history of baseball have thrown perfect games. On 89 pitches, uh, just dominating the Marlins. I went back and watched uh, the from the seventh inning on, and uh, he was just dominating them with a decent lead over the Giants in the division. Uh, I think it is selfish of Roberts to hold this World Series like chance and uh, kind of lord it over like Rich Hill. But he. He's wanting to keep Rich Hill healthy. like. But at what cost? Like, Rich Hill was furious that he had to come out the game. If you watch uh, him in the dugout, he's just he's slammed a bat. He's uh, clearly very upset with talking to Kershaw. Um, he definitely wanted to stay in the game. And so if I was manager, I would, walk, you know, I would talk to him and say, if there was, like, a small issue with the blister, because I know the trainers would look at the blister between, like, each inning, I would say, hey, trainers are telling me that there's like a small issue with your blister. It looks like it could crap up. And then depending on what he would say, I would make that decision. So if he said, I want to stay in the game, I would say like, all right, I'm trusting you. But if like anything goes wrong, I'm going to take a lot of heat for it. But it's like the John Lackey thing. John Lackey has never been happy about coming out of a game. So a pitcher's never going to give you the right. But that's a perfect game. You have such a small chance to do that. Rich Hill is probably never, ever going to do that again. Have that chance. And I think, but he, say, but say he goes, uh, you know, and pitches a perfect eighth, but is at a hundred and ten pitches. Would you? He's gonna it? have a twenty-one pitch. No, I. If it got if it got up to a hundred and he was still in the eighth, I don't think I would have kept him. So if he's at ninety-eight going into the ninth, you leave him in. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's I was listening listening to um, effectively wild. They did like an emergency podcast. Had um, Andy McCullough on from the LA Times. And so apparently Hill has two blisters, one as a result of throwing fastballs and one as a result of throwing curveballs. So I would tell him to throw, I don't know what his third pitch is, maybe like a changeup or slider or something. Uh, definitely probably his third or fourth best pitch. I would tell him to throw a higher percentage of those uh, or tell the catcher to call more of those. Hmm. Um, anyway, Rich Hill is a fascinating story. He's 36 years old. Was pretty much forgotten about for about 10 years. Pitched with the Cubs early in his career. Was pretty good, and then lost <laughs> the ability to pitch. And then came back last year with the Red Sox late in the year. Got a one-year contract with the A's this year. Severely underpaid, in my opinion. Got traded to the Dodgers at the deadline, and now is set up to be the best free agent pitcher mm-hmm. in the offseason. So, um, curious to know what his contract will look like. Um, so anytime he pitches, I would encourage you to go check out the highlights or watch him because he's pretty nasty and look forward to watching him in the playoffs. 
Yeah, and Kershaw uh, came back Friday night. Um, yep. His first start after being out for uh, almost two and a half yeah. months. Yeah, he's pretty rusty too. And those two are one and two now in ERA in Major League Baseball. I think one of the most underrated storylines of the second half has been the Dodgers' um, success even without Kershaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dave Roberts did a good job. They're, I think I looked and they had the second best record after the All-Star break behind the Cubs and all that was without Kershaw. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Rich Hill with the Dodgers now 19 innings pitched, zero runs, only six hits and two walks. It's a point four whip. So he's been very good. And so you've got Kershaw and him heading into the playoffs. Could be a, a pretty dynamic one-two punch. And I think, though, it's pretty much a lock that they're going to play the Nationals. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a really fun series. Um, and I think those two lefties will neutralize Harper and Murphy quite a bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Speaking of arm injuries, the only other note I had, um, Danny Salazar, who was my midseason Cy Young, <laughs> AL Cy Young, uh, he left Friday's game with a sore forearm after four innings. He was on the DL in August for an elbow issue, so there's some concern about him making um, the playoff roster. And in that case, that severely dampens expectations for the Indians in the playoffs. Well, behind it, Kluber and Carrasco, you don't have much there. Well, another arm injury too, Strasburg. Right. He left the game Wednesday. And it did not look good. It looked like something had gone wrong in his elbow. And uh, apparently it's just a strain of his flexor mass, whatever that is. Um, so he's questionable to return this year, um, questionable to, to pitch in the playoffs. Um, if you had to guess, though, you would say his elbow snaps again, right? Yeah, I certainly would put my money on him being healthy. So it, better chance of him having another Tommy John surgery or not having a Tommy John surgery? I don't know about Tommy John. I would say. Really? Yeah. Uh, Dansby Swanson hit his first career home run on a Tuesday inside the Parker, and then he had an uh, an outside the park home run on Wednesday. He's actually been really good. Slash line of 314, 364, and 443. Uh, so I've been impressed. Proving um, you wrong. Yeah, I didn't think he was ready, but... Um, yeah, Braves fans should be pretty excited about him moving forward. And lastly, uh, Brian Dozier, the Twins' second baseman. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I haven't not watched any Twins games this year. Um, he has hit 39 home runs, uh, which is insane. Yeah, he's had an amazing second half. 6.2 war, I think, this morning um, for Mr. Dozier. Uh, yeah, just really unexpected. Um, but see, looking at his, his history, it's not like he was hitting like single-digit home runs. Yeah, he's definitely a power hitter. So, uh, yeah, nice um, little thing for the Twins and a pretty crappy year for them. Uh, nine of the 11 top home run leaders in baseball are in the American League. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Bryant and Arenado are the only two in the top 11 are there more parks in the American League that are conducive to hitters? Maybe. I had thought that pitchers would want to pitch in the National League more, so maybe there's a, been a shift that way. Yeah, maybe. Could be just a fluky thing, too. Yeah, I mean, you had like David Price. He picked the Red Sox over the Cardinals. Yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, so on this week's podcast, got a um, pretty normal episode for you. 
no uh, no big interviews, just us talking baseball for the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, we've got our second edition of Buy, Hold, Sell on teams' playoff chances. Um, and then we've got Baseball on TV, followed by Out of the Box, TWTW. What are we going to talk about? Uh, teams that uh, have offenses that are well-suited for the postseason. Okay. And then after that, we have Sons of the Game. Going to look at the last perfect game in uh, in baseball. Do you know who that was, Paul? The last perfect game. I know Burley had one in the 2000s. <laughs> There's been one since then, I assume. Yes. 2012 is the year. Scherzer didn't have one, did he? Nope. Mm, any hint? No, you just have to wait. Alrighty. You are awful at no-hitter perfect game trivia. I am awful, but I also also say that you put a little more weight than you probably should. To <laughs> this is probably if you listen to all the podcasts, this is probably the fifth time I have asked you questions regarding uh, recent perfect game or no hitters. Cole Hamels. Nope. Uh, all right, and then after that, bottom of the ninth. Um, but first, buy, hold, sell. Uh, so this is a game that we play based on the Fangraphs playoff odds. And uh, we just ask the other person what they think about the league that they watch more often. Um, so I'll go first, Paul. American League East right now, headed into Sunday's games. The Red Sox were leading the division. The Blue Jays were one game back. The Orioles were two games back. And the Yankees were three back. Uh, so, yeah, Blue Jays one, Orioles two games back, and the Yankees three. Uh, if you could break down percentages to win the division on those uh, four teams. How would you do it? Red Sox seventy. Red Sox sixty. Blue Jays thirty, and then the uh, Orioles ten. Yankees zero. Close to zero. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Fangraphs had it as fifty-seven percent for the Red Sox, thirty-two for the Blue Jays, nine percent for the Orioles, and two percent for the Yankees. Mm, pretty pretty similar. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I still think the Orioles aren't a playoff team. So I would sell on the Orioles, and I would buy on the Red Sox and the, the Blue Jays. Okay. All right, in the National League, um, the race is a little less messy. Uh, you really only have uh, the Mets, Cardinals, and Giants vying for the, the two wildcard spots. Uh, the Dodgers are four up in the West over the Giants. Um, so if you were to, to break down those teams' chances of – Getting a playoff berth. How would you? Which do it? teams were there? Giants, Cardinals, and Mets. Cardinals are up, or the Giants are up one game on the Cardinals, and then the Cardinals and Mets are tied. So just one spot. of those teams won't make the playoffs, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. That's tough. Yeah, all three um, have the experience. I talked about how the Marlins were going to fade about a month ago. Mm-hmm. I was correct in that. Uh, I'd probably go. What the Giants are up? You say one game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this probably won't make sense if you broke down the percentages, but I put the Dodgers or the Giants at like seventy-five percent. The Cardinals at like sixty percent, and then the Mets. I'd give them the least amount, so maybe like forty percent. Uh, Fangraphs actually likes the Mets ahead of the Cardinals, but okay. you, you were close with the Giants. Uh, Fangraphs has them at 73%. Cardinals, 
Cardinals at 56 and the Mets at 59. Okay. To win the wild card. Okay. Uh, my other buy, hold, sell question for you, Paul. Um, the Indians have a 27% chance to make the World Series. It's the highest of any team in the American League. Are you buy, holding, or selling on that? Say that 27%? Mm-hmm. Uh, selling. So you think they have a, a worse chance than 27%? Correct. Okay. Yeah. I like um, I like a team from the East, actually, whether that be the Blue Jays or the um, Red Sox. The Fangraphs projections have the Cubs and Nationals both at 100% for playoff odds. Do you uh, agree with that? <laughs> I'm buying that, yes. Um, Fangraphs currently has the Cubs at a 17% chance to win the World Series. Would you buy, hold, or sell on 17%? That's pretty low. I would buy that. I don't know what the ramifications are if I buy it and it doesn't come true. But yeah, I would say I would put their chances higher. That is the highest in um, in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. With the uh, the Dodgers actually surprisingly second with a 14.5% chance to mm-hmm. win the World Series. Yeah. Uh, last one. Uh, so I m- uh, mentioned that the Indians had a 27% chance to make the World Series win the AL pennant. Uh, if you lump the Indians with the Red Sox, Rangers, and Blue Jays, that makes up 87% of the chances to make the World Series. So of the remaining teams that have a playoff uh, shot, the Orioles, Tigers, Astros, Mariners, Yankees, and will throw in the Royals, which of those teams would you give the best chance to uh, kind of make a, a Cinderella run to the World Series? Tigers for sure. Um, I really like the Tigers. I think they'll get that second wild card in a postseason series. Having Verlander and Fulmer would be would be pretty tough. Hmm. And um, yeah, their lineup can be deadly. So I, I really like the Tigers. Their old owner is depending on. Mm-hmm. Is that Illich? Is that mm-hmm. I saw somebody tweet earlier this week that the the Tigers playoff rotation was it two years ago was Verlander. Scherzer and Price, mm-hmm. and it's pretty amazing. They're top three in innings pitched this year. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that they didn't um, make more noise that postseason. Yeah, they lost in the first round. All right, you got anything else? I do not. All right, uh, so that was buy, hold, sell. Next up, baseball on TV. I had the the choice this week. I went with Murder, She Wrote, Season 5, Episode 20. Uh, it's episode 19 on Netflix, but episode 20 everywhere else. So I don't know what the... A strange, strange show. <laughs> the hang-up is there. Uh, the uh, title of the episode is Three Strikes, You're Out. Murder, She Wrote is a show I had heard of before. Like, I had known that that was a TV show. But I didn't really know the, the premise. Well, isn't it a, like a play or a book or something? I think it's been turned into a book, yeah. So the uh, description on Netflix says... Charming author Jessica Fletcher encounters cold-blooded murders that she cleverly solves using her intellect and astounding deduction skills. So this Jessica character is the main um, main person that the show follows. She's an author, well-known author, and she is good at solving murders. Uh, this specific episode uh, came in season five, so right around 1990. The show ran from 1984 to 1996 on CBS, 12 seasons of the show, and according to Wikipedia, it was crazy popular. It got really good ratings. Um, yeah, this this episode came out around 1990, 
And Jessica's nephew, Johnny Eaton, uh, no relation to Adam Eaton, mm. I assume. Wasn't there a, another a pitcher named Adam Eaton as well? Was there? Mm-hmm. I forget. Yeah, so Johnny Eaton is a minor league player, AAA player. He's playing ball in spring training. Jessica's about ready to go watch one of his games uh, in some city in Arizona. But then Johnny gets traded from the Titans to the Comets. Murder, she wrote, did not splurge for team names or licensing rights because these teams are made up. Uh, So, yeah, the Titans traded Johnny Eaton and Johnny's battery mate, a catcher that apparently they had come up through the ranks together, mm-hmm. traded them to the Comets, and then the Comets in return traded uh, an aging slugger who was kind of a fan favorite, really good player. A lot of characters in this episode. Uh, the manager, Harry Dial, is a sexist. Mm-hmm. Does not like females in his clubhouse. And we realize that because the newly signed TV reporter comes into the clubhouse. Uh, she's very good at her job, takes it very seriously, but all the players and the managers think she's, um, I guess she's just really attractive, so they kind of like try to get her to <laughs> sleep with them, mm-hmm. more or less. Um, but she takes her job really seriously, and then she actually gets killed. And so the whole episode is about who killed this TV reporter. And uh, there's a lot of different plot lines. Initially, some people think it was uh, Johnny Eaton's battery mate, the catcher. Charlie who has kind of a weird past in Arkansas, Alabama. Mm-hmm. One of those two uh, is now living under a, a new name, but it wasn't him, wasn't uh, any of the other players that people kind of suspected. It turned out to be this agent-slash-fan guy that had followed Johnny and his, his catcher throughout the minors. It was kind of an accident. Uh, didn't really mean to do it. Just got upset with this TV reporter because she was asking too many questions. And uh, threw her against the floor, and of course her head hits a radiator or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course Jessica solves a murder. Everybody loves her. Um, yeah, so that was the show. Paul, did you have any any thoughts? It was a weird show. Um, I think X Files may have been a tad weirder, but <laughs> two observations. Uh, one, sh- it really kind of reminds me of a female Columbo. Got um, a very strong Columbo feel from her. Yeah, I looked. Columbo's on Netflix, but there's no baseball episode. Yeah. It's a bummer. Um, the other thing is the music for the, the show does not fit the type of hmm. plots that I would guess that Murder Show. I didn't notice. Have. What was the music like? It's like kind of an upbeat. I'm talking like the transition music from scene to scene. Hmm. It's like an upbeat, almost like jazzy sort of feel. Hmm. But um, those are my two observations. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have any other thoughts. Uh, I wasn't like entertained by it. I like wanted to know who killed her. Yeah, my standard right now is Stranger Things. I was comparing this to Stranger Things. I but, just got, but kind of the same sort of eighties vibe. I just got done with season one of Stranger Things. Very There's good. only one season of Stranger. A second Things. one's coming. But you have you seen it? You wouldn't have been able to watch it. True. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's very good. Very very good. Okay, the clip we're gonna play is uh, when uh, the manager Harry Dial meets the TV reporter in the clubhouse for the first time. Loretta, I've told you before, front office personnel are not allowed in here. Oh, Harry. How'd you like to be my guest on the first TV pregame show we're sending back home? Your guest. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Let me give you an education about something, young lady. 
Around here, ERA means earn run average, not equal rights amendment. Catch up with the world, Harry. Mr. Randolph's making changes on the broadcast team and on the field. Maybe even managerial. Randolph is old enough to be your father. At least let him live long enough to dole out our meal money before you give him a heart attack. Look, I take myself seriously, Harry. Maybe you should, too. The article that I have for Out of the Box this week comes from Neil Payne of 538. The, uh, the headline is, How the MLB standings would look if teams stuck with whoever they drafted. So the premise of this is uh, um, Neil Payne takes a look at um, how each team would do if they only had to use, or if they could only use players that they had drafted. Um, That's kind of what the title said. Yes. Um, the He used uh, data from the Baseball Gauge, uh, which is a popular website now that they have the MLB TV tracker, which you may have heard about. Yeah. And so uh, he just breaks down the standings based on wins above replacement uh, if their current rosters were comprised only of players that they had drafted. Peter, do you have any guesses on which teams may suffer based on um, this way of looking at it? So uh, teams that would do worse. Correct. Uh, the Cubs? No, huh. because uh, the Cubs. I guess Donaldson and um, uh, LeMahieu. Well, yes, and everyone on their current roster. Yeah, or, I mean, but they've, they've added a ton, like all their pitchers. Yeah, come from point. other teams. Like literally, no. they would lose all five starting pitchers. No, the Cubs would be the second best team in baseball. Um, Astros would get. Wait, well, I guess. Sorry, you're, this is if you didn't trade any of the players you drafted. Correct. Yeah, I was thinking it was. There's a team in the yeah. East that would suffer because the the big storyline this weekend has been if the if the Astros drafted Bryant. But that's that wouldn't matter. Um, Yankees. The Yankees would do because they draft poorly. They'd be second in the AL East, okay. so not them. I don't know. The Blue Jays would be terrible. They'd be the second worst team in the East and the third worst team in the American League. And if you think through their roster, they don't really have any. Well, but you're saying this is compared to where they're at in the standings now. Who would be like the worst team in baseball? The worst team in baseball would be the athletics. Because that just reveals the drafting, mm -hmm. how well you, you do at drafting. So the A's have done really poorly at drafting. Right. And okay. um, I mean, the, the Blue Jays have a pretty poor record too. Um, the, um, the Nationals would actually be pretty bad as well. And if you think through their roster, they don't have a ton of guys outside of Strasburg. Harper? But I mean, yeah, Strasburg and Harper. Sorry, those two. Um, and then uh, the um, the Rockies would actually be the uh, the leaders of the National League West, sixty seven wins at this point. Yeah, I think the most intriguing thing about these rankings is not looking like compared to where they're at now. It's just looking like best team, worst team. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah, that's a good. Like point. it's it's to me, it's a helpful thing to see who is drafted the worst and the bet the best. Not so much who is in a poor job of like trading away players that they've drafted, and because that right. kind of gets messy. Yep. Yeah. So I guess if you're looking at it that way, the Red Sox, the Indians, and the Tigers would be the best in the American League, and then the uh, the Cubs, uh, the Reds, and the Mets would be the best in the National League. Are the Red Sox and Cubs one too? Um. Yep. <laughs> 
that's Theo. Yeah, Theo both. Wow. Yeah, I think that's an underrated aspect of Theo's brilliance is just he drafts well. Mm-hmm. And so outside of that, I think he's pretty much like every other general manager. Makes some good signings, makes some bad ones. Yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff, though. So that was Neil Payne from 538 that did that. Okay, my article comes from SI.com. Tom Verducci is the writer. And uh, the title is In-Depth Look at Why Cubs Have All the Ingredients to End the World Series Drought. Uh, So the article has a lot of fluff about how the Cubs haven't won in a long time and how this team is different and all that stuff. Uh, you're probably sick of hearing about that. I know I am. Um, but Well, of, cu- of course you're sick about hearing that. I'm sick of just hearing kind of like, this team's different, this, you know, oh. all that stuff. Uh, so Verducci does make a lot of good points, though. He says that on paper, this Cubs team will enter the postseason as the most prohibitive favorite to win it all since the 1998 Yankees. So it is a pretty historic team. So that's 18 years ago, and I think I just lose sight of how dominant the Cubs have been relative to the rest of the league. They are on pace to uh, to be nine games better than the second best team in baseball, the Rangers. And that's only happened 12 times in the last 50 years. Nine of those 12 teams to do it won the World Series, and 11 of the 12 made the World Series. Can you name the one team that did not make the World Series? Nine games uh, or more better than the second best team in baseball. I can't, no. 2001 Mariners. Hmm. Yeah, so the 2001 Mariners uh, lost in the division round, and uh, I just found this intriguing. He listed out the um, the pitching matchups. In that series, it was the Yankees versus the Mariners. Game one was Andy Pettit versus Aaron Seeley. Game two was Mike Mussina versus Freddie Garcia. Game three was Orlando Hernandez against Jamie Moyer. Game four, Roger Clemens versus Paul Abbott. And then game five was a rematch of game one, Andy Pettit versus Aaron Seeley. So even looking at the one time that a team this dominant has not made the World Series, you can see why the Yankees had much better starting pitching. Um, Yeah, you're on Aaron Seeley out as your number one. Exactly. And Clemens was the Yankees' game four starter. Mm -hmm. He makes a good point in the article uh, comparing Kyle Hendricks to El Duque. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if their games are that similar, but just the idea that um, the Cubs and the Yankees' fourth, third or fourth best starter uh, was is so dominant. So Hendricks probably won't start until at least game three of the division series, and um, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, if not the best, for a long time in the uh, 2016 season. Uh, Hendricks has not thrown a single pitch this year. Uh, at the league average for a fastball. Has not thrown a single pitch at 92 miles per hour all mm-hmm. season and has the, I think, third best ERA in baseball. No. So be honest, would you be totally confident in Hendricks starting a playoff game? I still feel like he could yeah, get rocked. In that's a, a good question. Yeah, until he proves it, probably not. Uh, I'm much more confident this year than last year. Really? So would I you? Mean, he's been so good. Last, last year he was hit or miss on the stretch, and so he was hit or miss in the playoffs. If you were Joe Madden, you'd go Arietta, Lester, Hendricks, Hendricks, Lackey. Yeah, and I would send Jason Hamill to the Bahamas for a vacation. <laughs> He's terrible. Uh, and lastly, uh, in this article, um, Verducci lays out 
and you know, are there some possible ways to beat the Cubs? So one possibility is left-handed pitchers, and uh, that's not the way to beat them. The Cubs are the same against left-handers and right-handers. Another possibility is getting into the Cubs' bullpen. Uh, that's also not the way to do it. According to Verducci, the Cubs have the best uh, strikeout per nine um, in the National League amongst bullpens, and they're fourth in ERA in the National League. Um, and adding Chapman only makes that stronger. And everyone's back healthy now, so that probably isn't the best way to go. Third, uh, power pitching. The, that's how the Mets beat the Cubs last year. And Ruducci has this really great table in the article that shows how the Cubs have improved um, this year versus last year. So last year, on base percentage versus relief pitchers, they ranked 11th, and this year they're first. Uh, OBP versus power pitchers, last year they were fifth in the National League, this year they're first. Runners on third base uh, with less than two outs, last year they were 15th. Uh, that's you know really bad. This year they've moved, moved up to sixth. And then lastly, strikeouts, they've improved from 15th to 12th. So they do still strike out a ton, but they have improved quite a bit. He does lay out two actual concerns, uh, two ways to beat the Cubs. One, their best pitchers are really bad at controlling the running game. Lester can't throw to any of the bases, and Arietta and Hendricks are both pretty bad as well. And Jason Hayward has continued to be terrible. And uh, Madden has kept batting him sixth in the order, and so uh, in the playoffs that stuff just gets revealed pretty quickly. Uh, and they're just going to pitch around guys to, to face Hayward until he beats them. If I could add a couple of my concerns for the Cubs, uh, Jake Arrieta's control I think will get exposed in the playoffs. I don't think he'll be the dominant pitcher that they need him to be. Second, uh, Chapman not being able to go more than just an inning. I think you need closers like Mariano Rivera to be able to go um, at least four or five outs in the playoffs, and Chapman has shown that he's, he just can't do that. He can only come in in the ninth inning when in a safe situation, which is crazy to me, but that's kind of the only way he wants to be used. And lastly, Bryant Rizzo, and I don't have a lot of stats to back this up. I could be way off, but it just seems like they have not been great in kind of key moments um, late in games. And last year in the playoffs, they struggled, especially Rizzo. He was really bad. So uh, having those guys hit in the middle of your order, you need them to be clutch and uh, kind of get better as the playoffs start. And so I, I'm concerned about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think through uh, in terms of the running games of National League contenders, and no one really mm-hmm. pops out as... Yeah, that is... Verducci says, that, you know, they suck at controlling the running game, but none of the contenders steal. I feel like no teams really steal anymore outside of, like, you know, the Reds, and I think the Brewers have stolen a ton of bases. Uh, yep, yeah, so that is the Cubs. That's out of the box. Next up, we have TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs, when they can put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. All right, as I mentioned in the intro for TWTW this week, uh, I'm taking a look at which offenses are best suited for postseason success. And I'm looking at this pretty narrowly. I think two of the most important things um, for success in the postseason in terms of offense are uh, being able to hit power pitchers, which Verducci mentions in his SI piece, but then also being able to shorten your swing and put the ball in play, especially when you have two strikes on you. Mm-hmm. 
So those are the two things I looked at. Um, OPS, when you have two strikes, and OPS uh, when you're facing a power pitcher. And uh, fortunately for me, Play Index has both of those. So it was a, a pretty easy research job for me. Um, a- according to those two metrics, uh, the offenses that are best suited for postseason success this year are the Red Sox. They are number one in both. They have a 781 OPS against power pitchers, and then they have a 609 OPS with two strikes, and that's number one in baseball in both. So the Red Sox offense, well-suited for the postseason. And then the Cubs, they are top five in both, actually number three in both. They have a 733 OPS uh, against power pitchers and a 564 OPS with two strikes. And what's interesting about the Cubs, and Verducci scooped me on this, last year they were bad in both. So um, against power pitchers, they were middle of the pack. They were 16th in baseball. This year, as I mentioned, they were third. But then if you look at two-strike OPS, and I'm surprised Verducci didn't mention this, they were dead last in all of baseball last year. Uh, 467 OPS. The White Sox were 29th. Uh, And this year they're third. Hmm. And um, so that's really interesting. They they seem to have a different approach with two strikes, and uh, I think Rizzo I've seen probably most notably uh, changes his swing. Chokes up. He did that last year though too. Yeah, um, but guys like Zobras probably help with that as well. So the Red Sox and Cubs I would say are the, the clear you know um, teams that are best suited for success in the postseason, and really it's following the model of the Royals. So if you look at the Royals last year who won the World Series, uh, they were top five in both as well. Really good at hitting with two strikes and really good at um, hitting power pitchers. So um, a couple other teams that that look pretty solid. Cardinals, top ten in both, and the Indians are top ten in both. Um, In terms of teams that um, don't look great, the Mets, Dodgers, and Nationals are all pretty poor at hitting um, power pitching, which is interesting and bodes well for the Cubs. But um, I just think in the, in the playoffs, especially, and you know, this was just off the top of my head, listing uh, starters that are really, really good and are considered power pitchers. You have Kluber, Hamels, Price, Verlander in the American League, Scherzer, Strasburg, Kershaw, Arietta. Um, it's just crucial that your offense be able to perform well against those types of pitchers. Well, and bullpens, too. Right, yeah. Yeah, you get more specialized bullpens in the postseason and more rest and... Um, yeah, I think what you saw from the Royals last year will uh, um, will happen again this year. I think the the Red Sox and Cubs are both set up for success. Okay. Uh, next up, we have Sounds of the Game. Okay, this is Peter with Sounds of the Game. And uh, as I teased earlier, going back to the last perfect game, and many listeners of the podcast might know that this is King Felix, Felix Hernandez of the Mariners. I don't feel bad. I didn't know that. You did know that. I, I know it now. I've told you that several times. He is the last uh, pitcher to throw a perfect game in baseball. Happened on August 15th, 2012. Uh, I remember watching this, following this, uh, right before our senior year of college started. I remember where I was when I... Uh, where were you? I was in the basement of uh, this house that I was temporarily staying at until my college house could be moved into. Uh, so this is uh, pretty sentimental for me. Uh, there was actually three perfect games in 2012. Um, Paul, I would ask you to name those, but uh, no chance. Yeah, no chance. And they uh, in the clip they mentioned them, so I won't. 
go into those too much. Uh, but here is the ninth inning of that game. On the edge of history, safe go field. Felix Hernandez taking him out for the ninth inning. 24 up, 24 down against the Tampa Bay Rays. A team very much in the hunt for the playoffs here in the American League. Dave Sims, Dan Wilson, Root Sports Proof. It'll be Desmond Jennings pinch hitting for Lobaton. First pitch. Breaking ball up high. Fans 21,889. Many on their feet. Here at Safeco Field, here at Seattle, Washington. Felix ready. Swing and a miss. Counted one and one. Felix has struck out 10. Struck out the side in the eighth. Struck out the side in the sixth. On the outside corner, strike two. Couple of good sliders. Dave, everybody on their feet in this stadium. Beautiful sight on this sunshiny day here in Seattle. Kings Court going crazy. The one two to Jennings. Round ball hit foul. In the pen, everybody paying attention. Socializing has been long over. Given the gravity of what we have in our hands right now. Rising to a crescendo. But one two to Jennings. Round back. Nobody up on the rail on the Mariner dugout. Anybody up on the rail for the Rays. A one two to Jennings. Oh, came out. Yeah. 25 up, 25 down. Four strikeouts in a row, 11 for the ball game. Felix goes to his changeup on Jennings. Uh, McDonald's Super Bowl, watch the movement on this pitch. Starts in the middle of the plate, ends up by his back foot. These fans are pumped. The entire stadium is now the King's Court. Champinger. Little pinch hit for Elliot Johnson. What a day to be at Safeco Field. A Wednesday matinee closing out the season series with the Tampa Bay Rays. Here's tough hitter here in Keppinger. And he looks at ball one. Jeff Keppinger went two for four last night. Four consecutive strikeouts for Felix. The 1 0. Paints that outside corner, one and one. Felix has gone to his slider here in the ninth. Several sliders here to the right-handers. The one-one from Felix. Bang! And a miss, one and two. Crowd loving it here at Safe Gold Field. The energy is reverberating around this ballpark. One and two. The King deals to Keppinger. Ground ball, Ryan. Scoop, throw. Got him, two outs. 
there's still a lot of pressure on the defense to make the play. Brandon Ryan, a walk in the park. Ground ball makes the pick. Good throw. One more out. A last hitter, Sean Rodriguez. Fly to left and a strikeout. Pitch. Outside ball one. 26 up. 26 down. 11 strikeouts. He's been on a perfect rhythm all day. The 1-0. Just outside. Joe Madden tried to break up his rhythm in the seventh inning. Disputing a pitch called by Rob Drake and was ejected. Didn't affect Felix. He's got a 2-0. The pitch. Swing! And it's Rodriguez. He's got a strike. Two and one. Wow. 2-0 slider right there, Dave. Rodriguez swings and misses. Felix has got it all going. 2-1 from Felix. The Seattle Mariners, Felix Hernandez, the 2-2. He got him! 34 years, 119 games. It's finally happened. A perfect game by a Seattle Mariner. It was done by the King, Felix Hernandez. The 23rd perfect game in Major League history. Third this year, Matt Kane of the Giants. Philip Umber did it here in Seattle against the Mariners. And now Felix Hernandez, he puts his name in the record books with a perfecto. So, Paul, after listening to that, does that change your opinion of the Rich Hill decision? Uh, no. No. Fantastic call. A cool moment. It's such a rare thing. 89 pitches. He would have done it. He would have done it. Yeah, I just, I mean, if it even were, if the blister flares up, you've got a month. If it were, if it were 89 after 8, maybe a different story. 89 after 7, he still has to go at least 15 more pitches. Probably. No, but great call. And uh, so, Paul, when was the last perfect game? 2012. Who pitched it? King Felix. There you go. Yeah, and I'll link to um, an article written by Jonah Carey of Grantland. Uh, I think it was probably just getting started uh, when it came out, but it's 27 uh, great things about uh, this perfect game. And I think they mentioned quite a few in the clip we just played, but. There were uh, 21,889 fans there. The game time was just two hours and 22 minutes. Fast game. Um, this was the third perfect game of 2012. Phil Umber, Matt Kane, and Felix Hernandez. And uh, Joe Madden was managing for the Rays. He was ejected because the home plate umpire was pretty terrible. And from all accounts, uh, like just from a, the objective perspective, he was terrible, like looking at the... Mm -hmm. the data of where the pitches were at and stuff. 
Um, also, lastly, uh, HBO uh, was playing for love of the game during this game. It was a it was a day game. So for love of the game is you know fictional character Billy Chapel Kevin Costner is pitching a perfect game. Uh, so it's kind of a humorous. Who noted that? Carrie. Uh, Carrie. Um, I went back and looked at HBO's. I was gonna yeah say TV schedule. It reminded me of one of Rick Hahn's biggest blunders, giving a three-year contract to Jeff Kepinger, who was the oh, second he, out in the night. Okay. Three years, $12 million to Kepinger, who was released after year one. AJ Pruszynski retired. Did you see that? Uh, no. Uh, he retired last night? That was the headline posted by MLB Trade Rumors. Uh, it's not true, though. If you click on that link today, it has been updated. He hmm. was placed on the DL, and he's still leaving the door open for... <laughs> A 2017 season. Wow. Good stuff. All right. Uh, well, that does it for uh, Sounds of the Game. And next up, bottom of the ninth. First up, Paul, say my name. Say my name, say my name. All right. Our name this week, I'll be quick, is High Church. He was a left fielder. Um, he played for the Brooklyn Gladiators, which is a legit team name. They were the 1890s version of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, he was born in 1863, so smack dab in the middle of the Civil War. Played college ball at Syracuse. Um, not a lot is known of his life or his baseball career, uh, but he did play left field. Um, How do you spell high? H-I. Middle name Lincoln. Hmm. Um, which I want. I wonder how big the spike in Lincoln middle names was for babies born in the Union during the... Civil War. Pretty high, I'm guessing. Well, everyone was still in the Union. Uh, North or the South was. They still counted the South as part of the Union. Correct. Um, yeah, I should have clarified. I apologize. Were you confused by my statement? Yes. The wedding I was at last weekend uh, was a uh, plantation that was taken over by the North and turned into a important hospital during the Civil mm-hmm. War. That's where the wedding was at? Correct, yeah. Hmm. A little bit more expensive than the Moose Lodge that I got married in. <laughs> okay, uh, my Yahoo answer of the week. As we head to the playoffs, thought this was a topical one. Uh, many baseball fans that listen to this podcast probably own a baseball cap. And, uh, you know, it's a full summer's use of sweat and uh, filth. So this week's Yahoo question of the week how do you wash a baseball cap? My son's white baseball hat is filthy. I need to clean it and maintain the shape. Any suggestions? The best answer. Baseball caps can get very dirty. They are rather easy to clean, though. Here is how you can wash a baseball cap by hand. Things you will need. Laundry detergent and an old toothbrush. Step 1. Fill your sink with lukewarm to warm water. Step 2. Add about a fourth of cup of laundry detergent to the water. It's all right to eyeball it if you don't have any measuring utensils at your disposal. Step three, place the baseball cap in the sink. Let the cap sit in the water for about a half hour or so. Step four, use the old toothbrush to scrub the baseball cap while leaving the hat in the water. You'll want to scrub particularly hard in the areas where the hat is stained. Step five, rinse all the soap thoroughly off of the baseball cap. Step six, Hang the baseball cap in a dry space or in front of a fan in order to dry the cap. You may want to wash your baseball cap in the evening so it can dry overnight. Avoid placing your baseball cap in a washing machine or a clothes dryer. 
Regardless of what settings you use, placing a baseball cap in either of these machines is always a risk. There you go. That's the most helpful Yahoo answers you've done so far. <laughs> All right. Uh, lastly, pick your team. Last week, Paul's team was the Padres. As of this recording, they are 3-3 three and three this past week. I had the Indians, who also went 3-3. Three and three. Uh, and the records so far this year, I am 92 and 67, and Paul is 90 and 70. So uh, it's a close race to the finish line here. Uh, I have a, a three-game lead. Who is your team this week, Paul? I'm going with the Rays and the Reds. And my teams are the Rockies and Mariners. So you had Rays and Reds. I've got Rockies, Mariners. Four pretty bad teams. So this will be a pretty significant week to determine who wins. Uh, the loser of this contest, of course, has to record the intro better up song by himself. And when you say the intro, I've been giving this some thought. Is it just the portion that you typically play, or is it the entire song? Uh, just the yeah, the, the Nelly portion of like the fish don't fry in the kitchen, beans don't burn on the grill. Yeah, because I kind of, I kind of like fade, to get up fade it as long like when he cuts out. So just like the first fifteen seconds, roughly. Okay. And are you gonna play the background music? No, uh, I don't think it's so. Gonna be awkward. <laughs> nope. Okay. Uh, another update to a game we've been doing: the Memorial Day trade deadline game. I finally updated it. Paul, you're up three hundred and fifty-five to one ninety-four. Mm. Paul and I drafted players we thought would get traded on Memorial Day before the trade deadline. and Oh, yeah, I have Rich Hill in that, right? So, so I should have been pushing for him to pitch another two innings. Yeah, another reason. Innings pitch plus plate appearances. Paul's guys have 355, and mine only have 194. So not not very good. An embarrassment, really. And I owe you $10, I think? $10 or a six-pack of beer. Still weird that you said that. Okay, um... Well, that's all that we have. You can um, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there. Send us emails as we head toward the playoffs. We'd love to uh, read those on the air. A foot in the box at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at a foot in the box. Check us out online at a foot in the box.com. Paul and I will be blogging more as we head to the playoffs. Or that's the plan. Uh, last year we did a, uh, like the week leading up to the playoffs, we did a blog a day. And so, planning on doing that doing that again this year. So check that out at afootinthebox.com. Paul, do you have anything else? I do not. Exciting pennant races. And just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. Rush is in a shotgun. Three players lined up essentially by the goal line. Rush stepping up, throwing to crawl, catches the lateral. Here comes Willis, Willis racing to the end zone! Touchdown!